The following audio is from The Well. We are a church that is committed to gospel growth, family formation, and missional engagement in Hastings, Nebraska. More information about The Well can be found at www.thewellhastings.com. We hope the message you are about to hear will spur you on to growing in the gospel of Jesus Christ, to be formed as a follower of Jesus, and to be engaged in the mission of Jesus to seek and to save the lost within a yard of hell. Well, just a, a quick intro. My name is Jake, as Patrick said. Um, my wife, Morgan, uh, is in the back with my two crazy kiddos, Camden and Lenny. Uh, if you probably know who they are, Camden's the one that comes up here and drums after church. So if you hear a loud racket, that's him. And then Lenny, if you hear her uh, yell and scream, that means I've gone too long. So she will be my uh, interpretation of when to stop. Um, I just want to say thank you for having me up here. Uh, it's a privilege to uh, serve today just uh, preaching uh, the gospel and the Lord's message. And uh, just to give you kind of a, a background of why I'm here, I've known Joe uh, Marino for a very, uh, very long time. Ever since I was in high school, he was my youth pastor at, uh, at an older church. And so Joe has been a huge influence on my life and has discipled me ever since I was a junior in high school. And so, and he continues to do it today. So I'm very thankful for Joe and the ministry that he uh, has done at Youth for Christ, the ministry he did as a youth pastor at, uh, at Lifehouse Church, and then now uh, him and Christy building this church from ground up um, and what they put into it each and every single day as you can just see, the evidence of God's grace in their life. Um, it's really cool to look. When Joe was a youth pastor, his kids would always come to our Sunday night gatherings, and Charity was just tiny, tiny, tiny. Aubrey was even small. And now to see them worship here and bring their grandchildren is a pretty cool evidence of God's grace in the Marino family. So, uh, so thank you, uh, Joe, for letting me come. I've preached for the well probably a handful of times, but it's been a very long time. I think the last time was when they were at the Y. So, um, so it's been a while. And so after today, you will be very thankful that you have Joe as a, as a teaching <laughs> pastor and not me. So, um, and another thing, uh, I just wanted to kind of, why I'm up here, so when I graduated high school, I went to uh, Concordia University to study sports communication broadcasting. I wanted to be like a play-by-play uh, radio guy for a professional sports team, either basketball or football. And so I was studying, uh, going to school for that, and then God kind of changed the direction um, of my life and where I felt like he was pulling me to and ended up saying, Jake, you need to drop out of college and then come back and and I felt like he was saying become a pastor. So I'm like, well, man, that's a real change of scenery from sport broadcast to pastoring. So I, I, I don't know why, but I listened. And I came back and I did an internship at a church here in town for over a year. And, uh, and I learned a lot. I learned the ins and outs of how a church works, the financials of a church, youth ministry, kids ministry. Praise the Lord for kids pastors. They are the real MVPs of everything. Um, but when I came back, I started then getting into coaching. So I played sports growing up. Blue Hill sports was everything, the school I went to. 
And so my old football coach said, hey, why don't you come back and help and, and, and fill in? We're, we're short on staff. And I said, I have known nothing about coaching. I love sports, but I know nothing about coaching. So I got into helping with football and basketball, and I fell in love with it. And the Lord kind of shifted my heart instead of pastoral ministry um, of shepherding like a church congregation, he kind of shifted my heart towards ministering and, um, and discipling young men, kind of like Joe did for me. And so the Lord kind of shifted, and then I came back and started farming with Dad. Long story short, this is where I am. So I, uh, I'm not a sports broadcaster. I'm not even a pastor. <laughs> so I'm a farmer, and I'm not even coaching anymore. So life definitely... Uh, can give you lots of ebbs and flows and, and change. But change is good. Um, it's hard, but it's good. So with that being said, uh, I want to start out um, by going over some key theme verses that we'll continue to go over today. And the first one uh, comes from Psalm 9, 9 through 10. It says, The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble, and those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. And then the other one, 2 Timothy 4, 17-18. This is the Apostle Paul talking to Timothy. He says, But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed, and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray as we enter into this message. Heavenly Father, God, for you uh, be the glory forever and ever. God, I pray that um, the words that come out of my mouth will be glorifying to you. God, I pray that your spirit um, is thick in here this morning, God, that you would move amongst our hearts and our minds um, through this message, God. And, and I'm so thankful for this church and the people in this church. Um, and God, we just pray and thank you for this morning. Um, again, may you speak to us through your word, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So you're probably wondering why I got hanging on to this old finagle rope that I cut out from my building this morning at about 8 o'clock. Well, the message today, and if you write notes, the message of this sermon is called The End of Your Rope. And I want to ask you a question. When in the last year have you felt at the end of your rope? Everything in your life is maybe out of balance or, frankly, just failing. Maybe it's due to stress at work. And the show of hands, who in this room can stress about finances? Every hand came up. I don't see any Elon Musk in this room. <laughs> and maybe it's due to stress at work. I mean, stress at work can be a hard thing. Maybe you're struggling in your marriage. Maybe a married couple is struggling with infertility. Maybe even struggling to balance your emotions on a day-by-day -day basis. Some days life is good, you're riding high. Some days life just sucks, and it's hard. Maybe you're feeling depressed or anxious about something in your life. Guys, the list can go on and on and on and on, right? But I always go back to 2 Timothy 4.17 where it says, 
Paul is telling Timothy, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Maybe you are barely hanging on as you listen to this very message this morning. And maybe you have no idea where to turn or what to grab onto. Maybe you've dealt with being at the end of your rope in the past and held on long enough to get through it. Maybe you haven't experienced being at the end of your rope yet in this life. No matter where you are, everyone in this room has been through one of those three things, I believe. But today I want to encourage you, no matter where you are at personally in your life, hang on tight. Trust in the promises of Jesus who can get us through our most difficult times. So just under a year ago, I found out my dad has cancer. The news came to me as a shock. At first, I didn't want to believe it. And don't we always ask the question, why? Why my dad? If you know my dad, you know he's been one of the most influential men of my life. I am who I am today because of my dad. Dad has always been by my side. He came to every sporting game I had, even coached me in my younger days. Dad always takes me fishing, even until this day. That's the thing Dad and I do. Dad, Dad would fish on land if he could. <laughs> and as, we, as I preach this, we're planning a fishing trip here in February. Dad always, always loved being a part of my life. I loved growing up on the farm. My dad farmed. Um, farming with my dad as a little kid. There's, there's a picture we have that I'd, like to, that I'd like to print out, but it's a picture of dad in his white Hanes shirt, blue jeans, belt buckle, and his pliers. And there's little Jake, the same getup. So I always want to be around dad on the farm. And it's crazy to think now that dad is retired. Dad is retiring. My dad is 68. And now my wife and I get the privilege to take over the family farm. So I ask, how could a loving God really take away the most important person in my life? I mean, I could lose the ability to ask dad questions on simple farming tasks or his marketing opinions, or where the hot spots are at the lake when we go fishing. I love fishing in tournaments with dad and against dad. A lot of times we, we fish in what they call the governor's cup at Harlan, and it's a walleye tournament. And dad has his partner that he's had ever since I can remember. It was his college roommate, and then I always have my own partner. And we always have kind of have these small side bets, and we always go against each other. And God darn it, he always wins. I don't know how, but he always wins. On the last day, he always catches the bigger fish. The first day, I always got him. Usually my partner and I will whoop him on the first day. and like, Dad, you don't got a real good chance for tomorrow. I'm just telling you. So you might as well give me the money now. But he always, he always comes up clutch on the last day. Those old men know how to fish. But 
a lot of these thoughts have rushed through my head like a tidal wave. Sometimes I feel sad and angry. Sometimes I feel sad and angry at the same time. And to say the least, this last year, I have felt many times at the end of my rope. It's hard dealing with the emotions of losing control, isn't it? Don't we all love to be in control of a situation? And really, it's hard to lose control in the uncertainty of losing a loved one. In this case, losing my father. So I ask these three questions right here. Where can I run to in a time like this? What do I cling to? And where is my hope? Aren't those three good questions to ask? Where, where do we run to when times are tough? What do we cling to when times are tough? And where is our hope when times are tough? Psalm 9, 9 through 10. Again, the Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And for those who know your name, put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. 2 Timothy 4.18, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Does this verse give me an answer why? Does this verse give me an answer why? No, it doesn't. And I don't think some things on this earth we have or will get answers to. But this verse does one thing. It covers me in hope. It covers me in hope that Jesus will rescue me. Jesus will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. So what I want to do now is I want us to take a dive into three stories in the scriptures that deal with people who are at the end of their rope. And these are just three. As I was pondering, what three do I choose from? The list could go on and on. But we're going to start out in 1 Kings 19 one through eight. And if you guys know the story, it's Elijah. Elijah flees the queen Jezebel. So let's read. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servants here. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones. Now, how cool would that be? Like you wake up and there's like a hot cake right by your head. I know I'd be a fan of that. And a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat. For the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Oreb, the Mount of God. You see, Elijah is realizing that 
after all he has done to embarrass the priests of Baal, that the wicked Queen Jezebel wants him dead. She says, you will be dead tomorrow. Now, when an angry woman says you will be dead tomorrow, you will be dead tomorrow. <laughs> Any married couple can agree with that, right? And the queen had power to back up her statement and her threat. So a queen back then, Queen Jezebel in today's age would be like if you had beef with the mafia or a mob boss or let's say the Mexican drug cartel. Do you think that's a good situation to be in? If one of them people are mad at you, there's a lot of power and violence in that way of life. Yeah, so not good news. So what Elijah do? He ran. He was desperate. He was at the end of his rope. Look what he says in verse 4 through 5. He says, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. See, Elijah finding himself at the end of his rope. Can you relate? Have you ever thought about suicide? It's more prevalent than what you think. There's some times where we just feel like we've had enough, and the pain is too much. And we just want it to end. Well, Elijah did. So what is God's response to Elijah? Does he let him live in his self-pity and sleep all day? No, he says, arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. The hope that Elijah trusted was that God was not done with him yet. God has a plan for him, and his journey will be great. Is there times in your life that you don't know what's in store for you? that you don't seem to have a good plan for your future, that you're just, you lose control. Well, don't lose hope. I want to encourage you with Jeremiah 28.10. Most of you know this verse. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. See, we can trust that God has the best plan for us. But it also takes some action from us. What does he say? Seek and pray and he will hear. Seek and pray and he will hear. The second story comes from Mark 5, 21 through 34, and this is the story of the woman who touched Jesus' garment. Jesus heals a woman and Jairus' daughter. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus, by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. And he went with them. And a great crowd followed him and thronged him about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for twelve years, and who suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all of that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. 
she had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. And she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what happened, had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. You see, the narrative about Jairus' daughter frames the interrupting story of a hemorrhaging woman. Both stories show Jesus' incredible, surprising power. This woman had a discharge of blood, likely describing some kind of ongoing internal bleeding, which according to Leviticus 15, would have made this woman ceremonial unclean, preventing her from worshiping in the temple or joining her people in everyday activities. This poor woman has been bleeding for 12 years. Can you imagine bleeding for 12 years? I get a cut on the farm and bleed for two minutes, and I think, I don't know if I'm going to make it. <laughs> She's been bleeding for 12 years. That's crazy. Put your feet in her shoes, and her shoes are probably full with blood if she's been bleeding for 12 years, right? But would you say this woman, is it the end of her rope? Would you say she's desperate? The way people look at you, or excuse me, the way people look at her and stray away from her, mentally she has to be wiped and depressed. And all the women in here, I want to ask you this question. Would you say it's fair statement to say you and your outwardly beauty is one of the most sought after quality you want? Doesn't every woman want to look and feel beautiful, right? It's a natural feeling. It's like every man who wants to feel strong and powerful. Every woman wants to feel beautiful and loved. How would you feel if at any time you were out on the town, people just mock and stare? Say things like, oh, she's ugly or unclean. Don't, don't look at her. Don't. It, she couldn't come here because she's unclean. I would bet a lot of money to say that that would be devastating. So can you now see and feel what this woman is going through? I would say she's at the end of her rope. Verse 27 through 29, guess what happens? She touches Jesus' robe and bam! She knows right away she stopped her bleeding and she was healed. In verse 30 through 34, it says, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. See, the story reminds us that even at the end of our ropes, when we think there is no hope for us anymore, we just need to have faith, faith that God can heal. So maybe today you have the same circumstance as my dad. Maybe it's cancer. Maybe it's a mental disease. The list can go on and on and is endless in this life. But I pray you seek out God and believe he can heal you. 
Because we have seen in these stories and testimonies from people that God's promises are true. Last story. Luke 23, 32 through 43, the Bible story of the criminal on the cross by Jesus. Two others who were criminals who led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals. One on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, Forgive them, for they not know what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him that read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do not fear, do you not fear God, since you were under the same sentence of condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. The criminal on the cross next to Jesus was literally on his last thread of rope. He's on a cross. Moments bef before being crucified on a cross, similar to this one right here. I'm guessing that cross back in the day was a little bigger than this one. But being, put yourself in his shoes. He is hanging on this cross moments before being crucified. Do you think this man has much hope? I mean, this man is stuck hanging on the cross and, well, he isn't going anywhere. He can't run. What does he do? Look at verse 39 through 41. It says, one of the criminals who were hanged, railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. See, this man on the right side of Jesus doesn't blame God for being unfair. He doesn't ask Jesus to even save him from the pain of being on that cross. But what he does is he shows complete humility, knowing he has been justly accused of his crimes. He looks over to the man on the middle cross and says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And what does Jesus respond with? What would, let's say, Let's say I'm on the middle cross. What would I respond with? This guy has never followed me if I'm Jesus. This guy has never followed me. He's not one of my disciples. And he just at the last minute says, remember me. Remember me. If I was Jesus, I'd probably be like, well, you've never followed me from day one. So guess what? Good luck. <laughs> no, Jesus responds as we know Jesus does with grace and compassion 
and says, truly. And when Jesus says truly, he means it. I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. See, this story shows us the difference between a cold and hard heart, bitter at God for not saving him, and the other showing humility and repentance and a heart that seeks after Jesus in the last seconds. <laughs> he is at the end of his rope. Talk about a clutch play by Jesus saving this guy. So I want to ask you this. So when you're at the end of your rope, what criminal are you? When you're at the end of your rope and life is hard, are you the one blaming God and saying, save me and yourself? This is too hard. What criminal are you? Are you the criminal that says, Lord, remember me? Remember me, Jesus, when you enter your kingdom. So with these three stories, what have we learned with all these situations? See, these aren't just made-up stories, but these are real-life people dealing with real-life struggles. These people are all at the end of their rope. An important question we have to ask is this. Does God really sustain us, believers, through trials and hardship? That's a question you have to ask yourself. Does God really sustain us when we go through hard things? Is that a hard promise to believe at times? Would you guys agree? So what I want to do is just give you three quick promises that will ensure God's everlasting hold on you. God has promised never to leave you alone. Joshua 1.5, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Number two, God loves you and won't forget about you. Ephesians 1, 4 says, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. You see, God loved you before you were even born. Even before he made the world. God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Why else would he pursue us in our worst shape and accept us just as we are, loving us so much that he would send his son to die for us? We can understand someone dying for a person worth dying for, right? And we can understand how someone good and noble could inspire us to be selfless and sacrifice. But God put his love on the line for us by offering his son in a sacrificial death while we were of no use whatsoever to him. Last point, number three. God is not finished with you yet. Philippians 1.6 says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion of the day of Jesus Christ. Romans 8.28 and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good and for those who are called according to his purpose. God's character doesn't change and he's not finished with any of us yet. He wants to bring good out of everything that happens to us. You see, we live in a fallen world. We can read Twitter. We can listen to your favorite news station and even experience 
life trauma ourselves. And at times, don't we feel God has gone AWOL? Like, where are you at, God? But world hunger, violence, and destruction were not included in God's original design. One day, he will restore everything to a new heaven and a new earth. We will be whole. And all of our unanswered questions will either be answered or unnecessary. But until then, one truth we can cling to without a doubt are God's plans, God's character, and they don't include abandonment. God will never forsake those he loves. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. And when Paul says lion's mouth, Paul went through literal hell on earth. And he is pleading and seeking after God through the hardest times of his life. And what does he say? The Lord will rescue me. He didn't know at the time. He's probably in prison. He didn't know at the time. Will the Lord rescue me? He was confident. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And in closing, I want to invite you to hold on tighter than you've ever held on. If you feel like life is slipping away from you or you're in a season of suffering, hold on. And not just hold on, but cling. Cling to Jesus and the promises that he has for us. Trust in the hope that Jesus will never leave or forsake you. Like the stories we read this morning and have read, put your faith in Jesus and seek after him. And you can withstand any storm that you will face in this life. Look, if you look at the stories we just read this morning, what did they all have in common? What were they doing? They were seeking. They were seeking. What does it look like to seek after Jesus? Well, look at the stories we read. Seek after them. What did Elijah do? He got up. He got up. He ate. He drank. And off he went because the Lord was not done with him yet. What did the woman do? She was bleeding for 12 years. She was at the end of her rope. She knew she was unclean. All her friends told her time and time again. The community said, we don't want you a part of anything because you have an unclean spirit in you. What did she do? She ran after Jesus said, if I just touch his garment, I will be healed. And Jesus accredited her for her faith. And the last one, the criminal on the cross. He was at the end of his rope, just about to die. And he seeks after the Lord with humility, saying, I know I'm wrong. I know I've sinned against a holy God. And I have nowhere else to go. Jesus, just if you do anything, remember me. And Jesus said, truly, I will remember you and you will be with me in paradise. 
And I want to encourage you that one day, there will be no more pain. There's going to be no more tears. There's going to be no more cancer. There's going to be no more suffering. For those who belong to Jesus will have eternal joy and peace we can't even comprehend on this earth. We just trust in Christ, seek after Him, and believe in the promises that we see in the Scriptures. Let's pray. Jesus, we come to You seeking You, knowing that we are at the end of our rope so many times in this life. God, we just pray, God, that You... That, God, that you minister to us, that you heal us, that you show compassion and grace towards us. God, we trust you that you do that because you have done it for years and years and years. We have faith in you. And God, we know that one day there will be no more pain. There will be no more suffering. There will be no more tears. But God, one day you will make all new again. And we will be seated at your feet, worshiping you for the holy and perfect God you are. So God, we thank you for this morning. I pray that you enter each and every single heart here this morning and minister to the people of this church, God. Encourage them, give them strength to continue to hold as hard as they can, to cling as hard as they can, and just to trust as hard as they can. So God, we love you and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.